Well, good morning, and uh, do not be, uh, men, do not be distressed, because we have some cool things coming up, some manly things we're going to be doing uh, this next year. Women can sit together and talk and eat and everything, but I've got some manly stuff we're going to do, right, Tony? Yeah, it's coming up. All right, we'll tell you more about that as we go. Well, I'm, I'm like uh, 51% of the people in our uh, community now, I've uh, been under the weather a little bit this week, just a cough. Uh, we had a bunch of that with our family, and maybe all of you have experienced some of that. But uh, so bear with me a little bit this morning. The voice is, uh, uh, the Spirit's willing, the voice is a little bit weak. But I'm glad you're here with us today. And we're going to be wrapping up this series that we've been in for a couple of weeks now. And next week we'll begin our Christmas series. And I'm excited about it. It's called The Story You Thought You Knew. And we're going to be looking at the Christmas story with fresh eyes. You know, some of the things we think we know all that story, all that stuff. But as we get looking, get to look a, a closer at it, we're going to discover. Uh, some in- important facets of the Christmas story that you probably never thought about, and how real it was, and how practical it was for Jesus to come into our world. And so I'm excited to start that next week. But today we're going to wrap up uh, this series. We're talking about growth, and again, we want to be very intentional about this. And uh, I was thinking about this and about the church world, what I call the church world. And it's been my world for almost 40 years, well, a little over 40 years actually. Um, kind of the church world, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Every industry has its own world, its own terminology, and its all structure. And uh, I was thinking about that, how unique it is kind of to, to the church. See, uh, so, you know, some denominations have a complicated structure of hierarchy that their people understand about councils and committees and levels of leadership. And, and we're a non-denominational independent church, so we don't have all those structure issues and leadership uh, we're, we're independent. Every church is independent on its own. We have a loose uh, uh, affiliation with a lot of other churches around us. Uh, but we don't have all that world that kind of circulates above and beyond the local church. And then I was thinking about how uh, the church world has its own titles, uh, like pastors and ministers and associates and bishops and reverends and, you know, all sorts of names that are out there. And some of them are kind of trendy. And that kind of brings me to the, the title that I want to talk a little bit about today, and this what the title that I'm hearing more often now is called lead follower. Every now and then you'll see um, a senior minister normally that calls himself a lead follower. And I think I know what they're getting at, but it can be a little bit confusing. You know, it's kind of like jumbo shrimp a little bit. You know, it sounds kind of contradictory. What is a lead follower? Well, I think a lead follower is basically a leader. You know, it's kind of interesting that the primary word in the Bible for people who worship Jesus is the word follower, someone who follows Jesus Christ. And we talked about that, how in that day they would follow a rabbi literally in his footsteps. But another word for that follower is also a disciple. So a disciple, we talk a lot about that as well. A disciple is both a follower of Jesus and a leader of others to become followers of Jesus as well. It's also kind of interesting that the first disciples that we read about in the Bible, they didn't graduate to, to get another name, basically, a title. They basically remained followers throughout their lifetime. They just followed Jesus. So in our effort to do Bible things in Bible ways and call Bible things by God, Bible names, we continue to use the word disciple and discipleship. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus, and discipleship is when we try to intentionally make more followers of Jesus. 
Our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, which is basically discipleship. The motive for doing that is because we love God, we love people, and we want to be disciples who make disciples. I want you to think of yourself as a disciple or a follower of Jesus, but also we really want you to be intentional about thinking about making disciples yourselves, of your children, of other people that are in your life. Uh, we want to try to buckle, kind of buckle down and find people that we pour into intentionally. And that's kind of what this series has been all about for the last few weeks here. So we're followers who seek to make more followers of Jesus Christ. We're not just inviting people to take on an interest like we have. We're not just saying, hey, you really ought to be you know, followers of a Big Blue, uh, Big Blue you know, Team UK. We're not saying you ought to be a team follower. We're saying we want you to sell out and give your life and your allegiance to Jesus and let him lead your life. And that is discipleship. And let me tell you, that is very intentional, very intentional, because most of us, we live our life for ourselves and for what we want to do. But a follower of Jesus says, no, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be intentional about that. And you know what? That's the kind of leadership that Jesus spoke about, an unselfish, a giving, sacrificial leadership. And Jesus promoted this not being served, but instead serving other people. The leaders of that day were all about being served. And if you think about it today, even uh, in some facets of our world, even some facets of the church world, uh, people are all about being served. They want other people to serve them. Jesus said, that's not what it's about in my kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." So Jesus came basically to turn the world upside down. In that day, it was all about being served, being over people, controlling people. Jesus said, no, that's not what the kingdom was about. The kingdom has turned the other way where leaders serve people. Leaders don't seek control. They, they literally serve the people that they try to lead. And that's what Jesus did. He served people even to the point of washing feet and, uh, and serving people by caring for their needs and healing them. He did everything for the people. Leadership is serving others and then also reproducing ourselves into leaders that serve other people as well. And that's the kind of leaders that we want here at Journey Church. You know, um, I don't talk a lot about leadership. Uh, we have a pretty uh, in-depth process of, of uh, selecting and training leaders. Uh, you know, I think that leaders are probably not uh, the people that you talk about all the time. It's the people that are actually making a difference and pouring in people's life. But I'm going to talk a little bit about leadership today and, and talk about our leaders here, but also talk about what leaders do in the church and what we believe we're called to do. Our leaders do not focus on position or power. And that's why you don't see a lot of people uh, standing up talking about who they are and their position or anything like that. But our leaders are servants of God and servants of our church. So let me give you a working definition and we'll kind of break it down. Godly leaders are responsible to lead God's flock by being a disciple and by working together to make more disciples. Godly leaders, church leaders, are responsible to lead God's flock by being a disciple and by working together to make more disciples. Now, that's a great definition. I want to break it down to see what it means practically. And there really are about four aspects in that definition of what a leader is or what we believe a leader ought to be in our church. First of all, godly leaders are responsible to lead. 
Now, I know that seems kind of obvious, uh, doesn't it, by the very title, but the reality is that some leaders don't lead. Some leaders just want position, and godly leaders are responsible to actually lead in and uh, what the goal is of the organization. You know, the Bible doesn't make a great distinction between clergy and laity because every believer is a minister. The Bible also says that you're a priest with full access to God. So you don't need someone to go between you and God. As a believer, you have a direct line to God, a direct relationship. And not only do you have freedom to come to God, but you're also accountable to God for the life you live, for your relationship with him, and also to make sure that you reach out and and bring other people to know him as well. So the Bible doesn't make a a, a distinction between uh, what we might call clergy and, and lay people, but it does make a clear distinction between those who are leaders and those who are followers in the church. And there are several words that are used to describe these leaders. Now, the distinction is not made to lift these people to a higher level of, of um, you know, respect or acknowledgement, but instead a higher level of responsibility. And I think as we get into this, you're going to see by the nature and the titles that are used what leaders are supposed to do and the kind of perspective that we're to view them in. For example, in the Bible, they often, the leaders are often called elders. And the elder means basically someone who has maturity in the faith. We think of an elder being an elderly person, but not necessarily. Sometimes it's someone who's just been in their faith in the walk with the Lord for many years, and they're really growing and maturing in that. The Bible also calls leaders, same elders, they call them overseers, which refers to their function of overseeing the church, providing oversight. Uh, direction and clarity and kind of leading in that way by oversight. And then the third word that are used are often called pastors, which means shepherds or caregivers to the church. So those are the three words that are used to define basically one role over the church, elders, overseers, and pastors. And I know that we use that word. A lot of times the word pastor obviously is used more for a preaching minister or a, a located clergy of some sort, but those are the three words that are used to describe the leaders of the church. Here at Journey Church, we call our leaders elders. Uh, We don't use the title pastor a great deal, but we call our leaders elders, and we usually have between four and six. This year, we have six elders. Next year, we'll have four elders. The reason for that is that our elders serve for three years, and then they're off a year. They kind of get a break. Uh, They kind of need a break sometime after serving uh, for three years. And then if the congregation affirms them, then they come back on and serve again. The Apostle Paul describes the kind of person that should be called to be an elder. And this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment of the devil. He must also have a good re- reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap." So that kind of is a, a list of, some people call them qualifications. I, I often come, I call them qualities. 
Because this is the sort of person that God says we should choose to be the leaders of our church. Now, notice a couple things about this role that jump right at us. First of all, it's obvious from the Scripture that elders are to be men. And I know that doesn't uh, sit well with a, a, a culture sometimes, or politically correct, but every pronoun is masculine, which aligns with other biblical re- uh, teaching that men are to lead the church. And so, again, we want to do Bible things in Bible ways, and so that's something that we believe is, is true, and that's part of what we teach. Biblical uh, teaching says that, that men are to lead their families and to lead the church. Secondly, we notice here that the bar of church leadership is high. It's high. If you read through that list of, of qualities, you're going to say nobody, nobody reaches that. Nobody uh, that I know uh, is all those things. Uh, but that's the goal, right? And we try to find people who match that list to the best of their ability. These are goals and, and you know, things that we strive for. And so people who are striving for those qualities are people that are oftentimes asked to lead. Elders are not to be chosen on the, the uh, basis of popularity or personality or strength or power or wealth or anything, but on their spiritual maturity and their leadership qualities. And then they are to be given the task of overseeing the church. Now, in the next few verses there, Paul describes another group of secondary leaders. And they are called deacons who are to lead in service. It says, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women or the wives of deacons are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything." A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Now, again, as you read through that, you notice that masculine pronouns are used, showing that deacons are to be men. But in this case, it speaks about their wives who are to join them in service. And it also said that they should be tested. And that's why every year uh, we spend quite a bit of time, we begin in July, trying to find uh, those who are already serving the church, uh, those who are growing in their faith, those who are disciples, who hopefully are making more disciples. And then we spend time in, in uh, training them, kind of letting them know what we do as a church, what deacons do here. And then we have a time where they are tested, a couple of weeks that we give in November to say, if you know anything about these men that you don't think would qualify them to, to serve, then let us know about that. So that's a testing part that we have there. So here at Journey Church, we have both elders and deacons. Elders basically provide oversight for the church. They set the ends or what the goal is for the church, and then they delegate uh, management to the paid staff, and that's kind of uh, how we work. I serve as an elder, but I'm also under the collective oversight and leadership of all the elders together. Our uh, deacons serve as servant leaders to care for the needs of the church family. Now, as we read through that list there, obviously, uh, a lot of thought, uh, God's thought, was given to who and how people are called to leave and serve. And those are the two roles that we have in our church. We have a lot of other leaders. We have people, we have staff who lead certain areas. We have uh, volunteers who lead in areas. We have, you know, a lot of leaders, 
But these two particular roles are the ones that are set out uh, specifically in the Bible. Not everybody is gifted to serve. You know, I, I know of people who are gifted to lead, but they do not specially have strength in the area of serving, which is kind of unusual. Uh, not everybody is gifted to lead, but those who are called to lead have to serve both in, uh, by example and by oversight. Leadership requires having a clear biblical picture of what the church is supposed to be, what the church is supposed to believe, and what the church is supposed to be doing. And so our, our leadership, as we kind of raise them up through the, through the church family, which is how, how leaders should be raised up, uh, not from the outside, but from the church itself, leadership uh, is, is a tough job sometimes, you can imagine. Leadership requires dealing with problems that arise in the church. Uh, if you've been in a church very long, you know, because we're all made up of people, we're all human, uh, there are problems that come up periodically. Leaders must uphold biblical doctrines that are not culturally popular. You know, our world is changing about what, what is truth. And so leaders have to hold up biblical doctrines. They have to confront blatant sin in the church, sometimes confront someone who might teach erroneous doctrines or somebody who's divisive in the church. The least favorite thing a leader has to do, obviously like that. They have to take a stand on cultural issues and they have to stand and speak where and what the Bible says. And to fail to do any of those things is to fail in leading and to fail God. So, so at least just you think that leadership is really easy, let me tell you there are times that, that it's not fun at all to be a leader. But leaders have to lead courageously and, and be faithful to God. The second aspect of that definition that I gave you is that godly church leaders are responsible to be disciples who are growing in their faith. We have to make sure that we're growing. A person never reaches a point where they just level off and plateau and say, you know, I've arrived in my faith. And, and leaders know that. Second Timothy 4, Paul encourages Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. You need to guard your heart, guard your mind, make sure that you're following so that you can lead others to follow Jesus and make sure that your teaching is correct. There's a, very, uh, there's a few specific areas, I think, in that de definition where leaders have to be aware. First of all, we have to be careful to maintain a good co conscience between God and before men. You know, the conscience is the inner, inner reminder or the inner uh, awareness and sense of right and wrong that God has put in every human heart. And everybody has a conscience. Uh, some consciences are pretty broad, and they don't really... Uh, bother people because they can do almost anything and say almost anything. But the conscience, we have to, has to be trained to be in alignment with the Word of God. And once we read God's Word and we believe it to be truth, then we begin to change and we begin to form our conscience based on God's truth. And so our conscience is something that we're constantly growing, maturing, and fine-tuning. And we do that with daily stu study of the Bible and acknowledging that the Bible's ultimate truth. We read the Bible, we don't say, is this true? Should I, should I accept this or not? We read it as truth. And then we incorporate that into our conscience and our awareness of what is right and wrong. The Word of God trains us and guides our conscience. But we also listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit kind of speaks into our life. He works within our heart and our conscience and tells us what we should do and shouldn't do. And you know, the Holy Spirit is God's gift 
<clears throat> to every believer when we give our life to Christ and whenever we're baptized. And so the main way to keep a clear conscience is to walk daily in obedience to the, the Word of God and listening to the Holy Spirit speaking into our, our heart and mind. And whenever you do sin, which all of us do, you confess your sin immediately to God and seek the forgiveness of the one that you sinned against. So leaders have to make sure they keep a clear conscience before God. Leaders also have to make sure that they live a life with a view of answering to God someday. You know, the Bible says that all of us will stand before God and will answer for the life that we lived. Every one of us will. But even beyond that, leaders have to answer for those whom they lead. Hebrews chapter 13, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep, they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So the Bible says here that leaders will one day give not only an account for their own lives and their children's lives, but also for the church over which God has placed them as overseers. I hope you see that being a leader in the church is a sobering thing. It's not to be taken lightly. Members should love and support their leaders so leading will be a joy and not a burden. You know, you know, as a parent, if you've had a child that was difficult, that, what, that can be a burden. You love them, but it can be a burden. And you, you know, as a child, hopefully you're trying to make your parents' life easier. And the same thing is true in the church, that we ought to make sure that our leader's life is easier because we support them, we love them, and we follow them, and, you know, we're, we're praying for them. Leaders are under shepherds who are accountable to Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd, what the Bible teaches. And he is the one the church really belongs to. So church leaders are kind of responsible to care for God's people for him here in the flesh, here, here on the earth. See, this is Christ's church. It's not my church. It's not anybody else's church. It belongs to him. And leaders are responsible to keep the church safe and pure and deliver it to Christ whenever he returns. And the Bible says, as I just read, that he will hold us accountable for failure to lead our people or for allowing the sheep to wander off. So the idea of pastoring or shepherding is the idea of knowing the needs of the sheep and trying to care for them whenever they're lost or struggling or confused or, or maybe having a hard time uh, understanding what God's will is for their life. It's a sober reminder, I think, of the seriousness of leadership and the danger of abuse of authority in the church or taking advantage of people for personal gain. And so the leadership, we have to kind of police ourselves to make sure that we don't get off track in that. Also, godly leaders, church godly leaders are men of faith and prayer who lead the church as God leads them. Men of prayer and faith. You know, the church is not to be viewed as a business where we make plans and use human wisdom to make decisions. You know, obviously, we, the church is a business in one way in that it has to be run well and financially accountable and responsible, but it's not primarily a business where we use human wisdom and decision to try to do what is right. The church is to move forward by faith and by dependence on Him through prayer. So as leaders of the church, we want to seek this mind of God and look to Him in prayer on a regular basis. So our elders meet once a month, and we spend a great deal of time in that meeting in prayer for uh, the needs of the church, uh, seeking the wisdom of God for the direction, future of our church, uh, praising God for the answered prayers that we see. 
Now, we don't have all the answers. We don't always understand what God's doing. There's sometimes we're kind of baffled what we might see God allowing to happen in someone's life. But we do trust that God is in control. And we want to be in touch with Him constantly. We want to seek His wisdom as well as thank Him for His blessings. So leaders have to make sure that we are leading in prayer and faith for the church family. Then godly leaders also are willing to suffer for Christ if need be. You know, it gets even more serious because in the Bible, there was a lot of persecution that, that oftentimes happens in our world today as well. In Hebrews chapter 23, Paul mentions Timothy, who has just been uh, released from prison. And, um, <coughs> and Paul has spent his time in prison as well. If you read through the life of Paul, you'll understand that several times Paul was in prison for his faith and for speaking out about Jesus Christ. Here's what he says in 1 Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Paul reminds Timothy, who is kind of his disciple, he had raised up in the faith, don't be ashamed even if you have to go to prison for what you believe. Now, that seems so foreign to us in many ways because here in America, we're blessed in that we have the freedom to worship and believe as we want to. But let me tell you, that could easily change as moral and political winds change. And they do, and they are all the time. I hope you're aware of that. There's much about the Bible that's offensive to an immoral world. And there's nothing more offensive than the gospel itself, to tell somebody you're a sinner. You need Jesus. That's offensive to people. People don't always take that very well. And the gospel is very convicting of our sin and a need for a Savior, and you know, many people down through the years have died for their faith and persecution, not just in Bible times, but even up into the current age. And there are people in the world right now who are dying for their faith. And many of those are church leaders. You know, there are a lot of uh, church leaders in communist bloc countries like Bulgaria, which we support, which is one of our missions, who have been in prison for many years because of their faith. They're imprisoned. Obviously, it's the leader that oftentimes uh, goes to jail. So the church could obviously face persecution for our faith in the years ahead, and leaders are always the main targets of that. The darkness of the culture around us does not like to be reminded of their sin, and, um, and, and our very presence and values are threatening to them. And then you add with that, as has happened many times down through time, the progressive movement of compromising churches join in, with them to try to shut down, ah, shut us down. And you know, you say, well, that seems far-fetched, but the, the reality is that we've already experienced some of that in our own community because of what we stand for, kind of looking down on and saying that maybe we shouldn't be involved in, in community things, all trying to stand for the truth. And then, of course, oftentimes leaders face friendly fire from within the church itself. Many times that leaders are attacked by people within the church. No matter how you kindly you say it, God's word and God's truth always offends people. But here's what Jesus said. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you go back and look in the Old Testament about the prophets... Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Amos, a lot of those prophets were persecuted, even put to death. 
And so Jesus said, it's nothing new to understand that you're going to be persecuted whenever you try to follow and be obedient to God. So leaders have to make sure that their own lives are pure, they pray and lead, and they're willing to sacrifice if if called upon. The third aspect of our definition, though, we're talking about is that godly leaders are responsible to work together, to work together. The Bible teaches that leadership in the church is to be plural. Oftentimes, I'm seen as the face of Journey Church. But the reality is, is I'm not the only leader of the church. I'm under the, the leadership of our elder board. And we believe this is biblical. We believe it's important that there be accountability across the, the, the board. Plural leadership is a safeguard against the abuse of authority. And the task of leading and shepherding a local church is too big for one person or even a staff of people. So this means there has to be a high level of respect and unity and, uh, among leaders. Now, we at Journey Church, we have a model of governance that clearly delineates and clarifies authority and freedom and limitations on the staff and lay leaders. So in other words, I and our staff, we have limitations, but our lay leaders also have limitations as well. There's areas that they don't dabble in, they don't get involved in. So that's why oftentimes, if you have a question, many times they'll say, why don't you go talk to Randy about that? Kind of get some clarity on that if you want to know what's going on. We have a model of governance that that clarifies all of that, and it serves us well, and it creates understanding and accountability. Anybody who becomes an elder has to agree not only with what we believe doctrinally, but they also have to believe on and, and go along with or be in agreement with our model of governance. Not the only way, but it works for us. Put a lot of time and effort into that and training to assure that everybody will be on board with our leadership model and structure. And I'm glad to report that we have great unity in our leadership. Not every church can say that. We don't agree on everything, I'm confident, but when we leave the room, uh, we speak with one voice. We have great unity in our leadership, and that filters down to our church family as well. Part of our vision to be a disciple who makes disciple is to have that kind of unity and to be in relationship with people like Jesus was. You know, Jesus was in relationship with his disciples and he discipled them to make disciples of others. He was constantly investing in leaders who would turn around, take over the ministry and then invest in young leaders as well. The apostle Paul did the same thing. Paul invested in people like Timothy and Titus and the others who went on to lead the church whenever he was in prison or whenever he was put to death. And so we consider our leaders to be leaders, but also disciple makers. You know, maybe you've heard us speak about the upper room. And the upper room basically is what we would call someone who is in a leadership role that is called to be pouring into other people spending time with Jesus, and then go invest in others to create disciples and future leaders. That's important for every church to have on some level and some sort of clarity. And then the last thing we see about leaders is that godly leaders lead through service. They lead through service. As we uh, saw earlier, leaders in Jesus' day wanted power, they wanted control, they wanted roles and position. But Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Understand that in Jesus' world, the leader leads from the servant role, clearly all throughout his work in ministry. So leadership here at Journey Church is not so much about authority 
as it is about servanthood, about being willing to serve God by serving his people in our community. And so whenever we begin to look for elders and deacons, we look for people who are serving, people who are basically already doing these roles, and then we recognize them, we empower them, we ask them to step on and to serve in that capacity. And to also live out the example by Jesus Christ, who set the standards for his church in Matthew chapter 20. Again, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In fact, that's the spirit that every Christian is to have. Because all of us who have chosen to follow Christ are called to be servant leaders. We're called to serve Jesus, be obedient to him and do his work as he modeled. We're called to be servants to one another, to serve the body, serving our community so they'll be drawn to Jesus and then leading others to the hope that we have found. So we follow Jesus and then we lead others to him. The church needs to love and encourage anybody who's willing to lead. So I would encourage you, the, the, the people that, who are elders and deacons of our church, I would encourage you to encourage them, support them. Those who have been called and are willing to step up and lead in those roles and take responsibility, you need to get behind them and, and really support them. Every organization has to have good leaders, but I will tell you there is nothing more important and there is no calling, no greater calling, I believe, than to lead in the church. It's a great responsibility, obviously, but along with it comes a great reward because what we do for the Lord and how we lead here supersedes any other role you may have in business, in any organization, anywhere, because it's God's family. It's doing his work specifically and directly. And it also comes with a reward because one day, if we are faithful, Jesus said, you will hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. That would be my challenge to you. As we kind of conclude this, this whole um, series on growth, it's like, I want to encourage you to be growing yourself, to be a disciple, but also think, who do I need to pour into? My children, obviously, but also who are other people that I could step up and start to lead in? Maybe you need to start, start a group. We're always looking for people who would lead a group and be willing to kind of pour into the life and shepherd a smaller group of people. And if you're not a part of a group like that, you really need to be. And for those to take place, there have to be leaders. So as you grow in your faith, I want to encourage you to think about stepping into a role like that, to be invested in, to invest in others, to grow so that you can be the person God intended for you to be. That's my challenge for you today. I'm going to have a word of prayer here in just a few moments. And I want to, as we always do, we want to open up this time uh, up front for you to, to respond and come forward. And you know, maybe your issue, this is something um, that Sean did last week that I thought was very powerful, but he just said, you know what, if you, if you aren't comfortable coming forward, just, just raise your hand and one of us will step forward. Tony will be up. I think Chris may be available as well. And uh, we would come to, love to come and pray with you and, and to talk about whatever may be going on in your life and encourage you. Or maybe you want to step up and just pray for our leaders. Wherever, even, even if you don't come forward, I'd love to have you just pray for those who lead our church during this time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, uh, we thank you for the leaders that you, that you have raised up through the years. We read in the Bible of people who took the mission from Jesus, who carried it forward. People down through the years, uh, 2,000 years who have who have kept the church alive and vibrant and not just survived, but thrived, Lord, and carried the mission forward. 
And Lord, we know uh, that one day you're going to return, but until you do, the church is so needed in our world, so important, and we have to make sure that there are people who are willing to step forward, to carry the message and carry the standard forward. So Lord, I pray for our leaders, that uh, men who have stepped up and for women who serve in roles, God, that, that you've called them to. God, I pray that you would encourage all of us to, to not only follow, but to lead as well. That God, you would be glorified, that the name of Jesus would be held high. People would see Christ in our lives and be moved to follow him. And Lord, I pray that there are those here this morning who are hurting and struggling, maybe wounded to the point they can't, they're struggling to follow and they definitely can't lead, that God, you would just move their hearts to seek prayer and healing and strength, Lord, so they could be used by you. I pray all these things in Christ's name, amen.